Welcome to another In the Telling Scrap episode, segments that are too good to be left on the cutting room floor. In this scrap episode, Bryce Hess explains how improv can be learned. This scrap episode is sponsored by Anthony Buck. Anthony Buck has been teaching people to sing with greater ease and strength and more beautiful tone for over 10 years. His students successfully sing musical theater, pop, classical, and even rock music. Let Anthony help you meet your singing goals. Email atb at anthonythomasbuck.com to schedule a lesson today. And now Bryce Hess. So you mentioned earlier that your, your quality control sounds like you're juggling a lot of unknown variables. Mm-hmm. How? So what does quality control mean in that situation? <laughs> quality control. Well, believe it or not, improv can be learned. I've only ever met one person that didn't really have the ability to do improv. But they knew all the rules. They knew the formats. They knew the games. You ask them, they could explain it to you. But when they got up there, for whatever reason, it didn't come across very well. So it, it is. It's a, it's, like, it's a muscle. It's something that can be developed. And so you watch shows like Whose Line Is It Anyway? Or you go to see any of the local improv troops here in Utah. Or if you're listening outside of Utah, you have an improv group. They have things that they practice or they workshop or hopefully they do. Because <laughs> if you don't do it then you lose it. And that's also very true. So quality control is in the terms of keeping the skill up and continuing to experiment and to try different things. There's one rule in improv that's universal. Everybody understands or hopefully understands this rule and works to apply it. It's you never say no. Yes and. Mm -hmm. The, The yes and rule. And there's Strong reasons for that that we can get into when, when that comes up. But then you have the show structure. We talked about their short form and long form. If you're doing a short form competition show, then the players understand that there's going to be a trade-off. This team will play a game, then this team will play a game, and then maybe the MC says, well, I'll play a game. Then this team will play a game, this team will play a game. So they have an idea of how that's going to happen. Um, sometimes before the shows, often improvisers will discuss what games they'd like to play that night. Doesn't mean we play them, but we throw out, you know, I've been thinking about this game a lot. I haven't done this game in a while. Let's, let's play Lie Detector. Or I haven't played Mumbling Movie Murder Mystery in a really long time, and I, I need some Mumbling Movie Murder Mystery tonight. And so that might be the only planned aspect that exists in improv. And so you learn the specific games. You learn how those are played and you get familiar. And that way, when the audience becomes involved and they give you a suggestion, all you have to do is take the suggestion and plug it into the game and just let it download and see what happens or upload. I like I like that as an, an analogy. I've always thought that improv has the rules that the audience is aware of and then, like, the hack codes that the improv players are aware of. <laughs> like, yes and. Yes and is a hack code, yes. right? Yes. So tell me the hack codes. <laughs> give, me, oh. give me a game and then a game and then tell me how to make it quality on a consistent basis. How to make it quality on a consistent basis. It's not how much an improviser knows. It's how much an improviser is willing to try in front of a live audience and maybe screw up. I had a moment uh, a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago, 
we we were doing a musical show and we were trying a game we'd never tried before. One of our players um, brought it back from another troupe that they perform with. And we're like, yeah, let's give it a go. Let's see how it works. And I ended up singing about my prostate. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> never thought I'd sing about my prostate in my life. And uh, my wife enjoyed it <laughs> because she knows I actually have deals with my prostate. But the audience didn't know that. And I was... I ended up laughing so hard and crying because I couldn't believe I was singing about my prostate on the stage. Those are the things that sell the best when you find yourself doing something you never thought you were going to do. Do you think the audience can assess, though, that like bravery is happening even if they don't understand how much of it is autobiographical? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Think about body cues, you know, body language, all the things we subconsciously pick up on. You're one-on-one -on -one with somebody or you're in a group and there's so much subconscious communication happening. And so players are at different levels of comfort just in life, in how they are, who they are, what they like, what they don't like. And so you put a bunch of people like that up on the stage and you put them into a scene that nobody knows what's going to happen and you just get to sit back and see. <laughs> And there is a difference. Like, there are times the shows get really, really awkward when the players are getting awkward. And they're getting insecure and they're getting scared. And they don't have to say a word that that's how they're feeling, but the audience can pick up on it. And that's if they give in to it. But then there are the times when there's a lot of awkwardness happening on the stage and the players own it. And so the audience trusts them at that point. It's the player's job to show the audience that what they're doing is quote unquote okay. That it's <laughs> part of the plan. Yeah. I, I have given my full consent to be yes. up here and be uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> and think about have you personally ever been to a theater show where it just goes horribly oh, wrong? Yes. Horribly wrong. What happens to the audience when the performers give in to that wrongness and make it, you know, they're, they're communicating to the audience that, oh no, this is not how it's supposed to happen. This is wrong. So what happens to the audience? Oh, everybody like holds their breath and tenses up and gets all stressed out. Mm -hmm. But what happens when things go wrong and the players just roll with it and keep going and move on? Everybody relaxes and loves it. It's their favorite part of the show. There you go. That's improv. <laughs> it is either the worst moment on stage you've or, ever had or yeah, the best. Or the best. So you get that a lot of times with beginning improvisers. It's, it's a new environment. It's hard to be up in front of an audience and bear your, you know, your assets to the world <laughs> in a manner of speaking and hope that they will like it. But that's the wrong mentality. It should be, I'm going to bear my assets because I'm confident in them regardless of what, almost regardless of what you think or how you feel about it. Because you're here to watch me, to pay attention to me, not the other way around. Audiences that get paid almost with too much attention to, too much direct attention, it can make them uncomfortable. How does that look? When an audience is being paid too much attention to, what is happening? That's when the players or the improvisers are putting more of the responsibility on them. An example of this actually comes from uh, Steve Martin and Jim Carrey. I watched, um, there was a thing of, on Netflix of Jim Carrey 
uh, I th- either one of his movies or his stand-up, and something with Steve Martin on YouTube I watched. But they both essentially said the same thing. Uh, I'll use Jim Carrey's example. He would come into to do a stand-up show, and the first thing that he would say is, how's everybody doing tonight? And the audience would be like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. It's a pretty common question you, you hear when you go to comedy places. The first thing out of the performer's mouth is... Tell me how you're doing. Give me everything that's... uh, You, 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 you. And Jim Carrey, he went home one night after a show and he thought about this. He says, the audience doesn't care. They're not here for that. They're here for me to provide them something that they can't get on their own. So it's on me. It's not on them to tell me how they're doing. It's on me to tell them how they're doing. Or to offer them something different in that department. A way of doing. A way of doing. And so the next time he came out on the stage, he said, How's everybody doing? All righty then. So he almost gave the the audience a reason to go, I wasn't prepared for this. But then he glossed over it, not throwing it under the bus, but showing them that that's not what's important because I have a great show for you tonight. Yeah, it doesn't matter what your day was like before you got here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you're doing. In a way in a way it does, but for the purpose of my show, it doesn't matter how you're doing because I have something great for you. Thank you for listening to this In the Telling Scrap episode sponsored by vocal teacher Anthony Buck. Email ATB at AnthonyThomasBuck.com to schedule a lesson today. Let Anthony help you meet your singing goals 